0: What's up, everybody? Everybody settle down. Episode five. I'm Charlie Marlowe. That's Eric Messersmith. Eric, we got a lot to talk about. How you doing, man?
1: Doing well, Charlie. Ready for another week. Uh, seems like there's always a lot to talk about. The political world really heating up. And we still got nine months to go before the election.
0: Yeah, so, you know, we're, we're big time serious news and politics guys on this channel. Of but course. we're at our Super core. Serious. we're. Yes. Speaking of super, we're sports guys, Super Bowl. But I think this wraps into the political conversation with Joe Biden not doing the Super Bowl interview for CBS. And you can say, oh, that's not a a big deal. But I think we should wrap this conversation into some polling I saw from from the NBC News poll just about. okay. so here's I'll read you two of these. Having the necessary mental and physical health to be president. Biden is down 23 points to Trump. Being competent and effective, Biden is down 16 points to Trump. So you might say, okay, not doing an interview for the Super Bowl is no big deal. I actually disagree with that because for Biden to prove that he can do this job, he has to show up and do these interviews and do debates and show people that he's not this kind of babbling old man. Don't you think? (laughs)
1: I do. I mean, it's his biggest liability. I don't think there's any question about that. And what's interesting about that poll you cited is both of those numbers in 2020, when we had the same matchup, Biden beat Trump in both of those. And in terms of of the one that involved incompetent and effective, he was nine points ahead in that same polling. So this is a reversal. And to me, that makes sense because I never bought the Biden has dementia. He's completely out of it. There's, you know, he's a puppet essentially being controlled by people behind the scenes. I'd I'd never bought that. I still don't buy that. But what I do buy is he is not the same guy that he was in 2020. I saw some video the other day of him campaigning in 2020. And then a little bit of video from early in 2021 after he had won. And it's a stark difference. So for a long time I was one of those people who was like come on you're being too hard on the guy. Yes he's not what he was at 50. Of course not. He's 80 years old, 81 years old, right? Nobody is. But I didn't think the decline I thought he he still was effective enough. I didn't think the decline was severe. But I have to admit in the last year or so, last 6 months, I think you're really starting to see it. And he had that remark the other day where in Vegas he was in Las Vegas he was doing a campaign event and he was talking about the French prime minister, who now is Emmanuel Macron. But he confused him with another guy who was the fresh French prime minister in the 90s, who's been dead for 30 years. And look, if you're going to go after Trump when he got Nikki Haley and Nancy Pelosi confused in a long attack on he meant Pelosi, but he was using Haley. If you're going to criticize Trump on that, which I think is fair, you also should you know, look at what Biden did in, in that regard and with Trump, it doesn't happen as often. You know, he Trump's also pushing 80, so he's not the same guy he was, I don't think, in 2020 or, or certainly in the years prior to that. But it's really starting to catch up with Biden. You see it in the way he moves. And to be fair to him, a lot of times people take little snippets out of speeches or press conferences and use those and be like, look. He's lost it. He's completely gone. And and that's not the case. But there's no question the guy is not what he was even in 2020. And that's the problem when, when politicians get into their 80s is you age quickly. You know, there's not much difference between a guy who's 60 and 65, right? Unless they have some type of major health crisis in between. They're going to be pretty much the same physically and mentally. But between 75 and 80 or 80 and 85, the decline can happen quick. And you're right. How do you counteract that? Assuming Biden is going to be the candidate, which it looks more and more like he is, you counteract it by going out there and showing up and to showing people, yeah, you're you're okay. You're not what you were when you were 60. Nobody expects that, but you're you're fine. You're within the range of I feel okay that this guy's there mentally. And we're gonna the state of the union's coming up, that's gonna be a big deal. The the campaign, the convention, maybe debates, those will all be big. But in the meantime, you have an opportunity. To, to see to sit in front of the biggest audience, you'll probably have a Super Bowl audience and you won't take that opportunity. I just to me that is a really, really bad sign for how the biden people feel about their candidate. He hasn't done many interviews recently. he hasn't done many press conferences recently. he does talk to the media here or there. he does do campaign events. So it's not like he's hiding in the basement of the White House, but there's a difference between a a rally, a campaign event and an interview. Right. And and I we need to see him do some back and forth interviews. And I think that would help alleviate maybe some people's concerns. And the fact that he won't do this one with a potential huge audience, man, that is really concerning, I think, if you're a, a Biden supporter.
0: Yeah, to me, it only feeds that narrative that he is hiding in the basement, which I think you could get away with that a little more during COVID. And you could say this is because of COVID. We're trying to be safe and all that. I agree with you. And so people might be either watching this show right now on YouTube or listening on podcasts. But I'm telling you, I don't know if you've seen this on YouTube. I'm kind of on YouTube so much because it's essentially my full time job. I see so many YouTube ads. I don't know if you've seen the one. Where it's it's uh, Barack Obama with Joe Biden, and they're standing there and they're just trying to get donations. Hey, chip in! And Eric, this is the most taped. I mean, you and I have done TV and radio and all that. It's the most. I mean, simple and easy. Probably thirty second or maybe it's fifteen second. Whatever it is, I'm sure there's a couple different versions. And Obama says a sentence or two. Biden says maybe a sentence. Obama, it goes back and forth. And I'm telling you, in this little even tape setting, he just looks so old. I mean, he's whispering. It doesn't look confident. And again, if there's ever a scenario where you can make it easy for a guy to just ping pong a couple lines off of Obama, he doesn't even look good to me in these these super produced and recorded 30-second ads where he's trying to get donations.
1: It's the eyeball test and people see it and they know it. And look, is that the most important job of the presidency? No, the most important job of the presidency happens in things we can't see. It's in the situation room. It's in the in the Oval Office. It's on phone calls with your staff, with cabinet secretaries, with foreign leaders. When you have time to think things through and you're not under the spotlight and you're getting advice from people in that regard, I think, you know, Joe Biden at this moment is probably okay, but that's not the entire job of the presidency. Part of it is getting out there and doing interviews and selling yourself and your candidacy and your policies and convincing the American people to to be mobilized behind your agenda. That's part of the job. And right now, he is not able to effectively do that. And, and part of the problem is presidential terms are four years. And as I said, the decline when you get older can happen very, very quickly. So he would be 86 years old by the end of his second term. And I mean, it's, it's his biggest. We talked about this before. As the economy gets better, as inflation recedes, the stock market improves, this job market looks great. We had another blowout jobs report the other day. If that trend continues, it's a big if. That's going to be less of an issue for him and more and more what it's going to be is immigration, which we'll talk about that later, and his age. It doesn't look like he's going to be able to do anything about immigration because it doesn't look like any bills are going to pass and he doesn't seem intent to crack down on the border. So it it's going to be his age and that's not going to get better. And the only way to counteract that is what we were saying. Get out there and show people I'm fine. And yes, speeches are great. And the state of the union, he did really well last year at the state of the union. He'll probably do okay again this year. That's coming up in March, but that's not the same thing as being in front of an, a person asking you questions and having to go back and forth. And he, he has to display again, the expectations are pretty low. That's the good news for him, but he has to display a base level competency there, or it's going to be a major problem. And look, Trump's so unpopular, he could still win anyway. He could still win anyway. But he has to try to, he and his people have to try to help himself. And I think there comes a point where when we get into the summer, a final decision needs to be made. And he and Obama and his advisors and the, the, the grand poobas of the Democratic Party, they need to come together and be like, look, Are you up to this and can you do this for the stretch run? And a lot of that is going to depend on the polling at that moment, Trump's legal status. Is there a viable person who could step up if needed? But I think, and again, I want to be clear, I think Biden is going to be the nominee. I think Biden will will be there. And I think Biden has a pretty good chance to win at least 50-50, I think, despite all of these problems we're mentioning. But I think that is the moment at the convention, the weeks leading up to the convention, Biden himself and everyone around him is going to have to make a final decision. Are you really up for this? Are you really up for being out there pushing for and because surrogates can help, the vice president can help, Gavin Newsom can help, Obama himself can help, money, he's going to have a ton of money, that's not going to be a problem, but there are certain things that only a candidate can do and arguments that only the candidate can make.
0: And getting back to the sports analogy, though, I think sometimes a, a coach or a manager you have to save somebody from themselves, right? A starting pitcher, even though the starting pitcher wants to stay in, sometimes you got to pull them. I I wonder if even if Joe Biden says, yeah, I'm up for this. Someone needs to go, hey, Joe, maybe you're not. But again, I don't know if that's going to happen. We'll have time to talk about that. So clearly we're going to talk a ton about immigration in this bill, but let's, let's finish up just because there's some immigration pieces in this NBC News polling, but let's I want to read off some of these to you and just get your get your take. I already told you and everybody about the, um, let's see, being competent and effective, where Biden's down 16, having the necessary mental and physical health to be president. He's down 23. Securing the border and controlling immigration, Biden is down 35. That's the biggest. Uh, dealing with the economy, Biden's down 22. Uh, dealing with crime and violence, Biden's down 21 improving america's standing in the world so the foreign policy type piece he's down 11. so the only questions that biden is up he's up 17 on treating immigrants humanely and protecting (laughs) immigrant rights dealing with the issue of abortion plus 12. here's the one i find funny or maybe it's not so funny but protecting democracy biden's only up two so here we are if If you're if you're in the middle and you truly believe I think a lot of people in the middle believe that Donald Trump tried to overturn the election, you would think maybe that's one of Biden's biggest strengths. He's only up plus two, which probably speaks to the point that, hey, a lot of Republicans and a lot of Trumpers believe that, uh, hey, what Biden did with the with the Hunter Biden laptop story, with the FBI, with with uh, big tech. And we had this conversation a couple of weeks ago. I agree with you. I don't think it's the same, but it seems like from a political standpoint, if Joe Biden's only up two points on protecting democracy, people don't look at it as that much of a big deal as as maybe you and I and some others.
1: And I think a lot of it is this polling now, as we become so polarized, more and more those individual questions reflect, who do I like? And you see this with the economy, As the economy has gotten way better Democrats and independents have increased. If you look at polling their support of Biden on the economy, as the numbers have gotten better, Republicans really haven't. And that just shows you that some of this is not about the issue or the data. Some of this is about whether you like the guy or not, or, and the age thing is part of that with Biden. Part of that is whether you think he's he's competent or not. Part of it is the rehabilitation that the the conservative media, some parts of it have done on uh, the rewriting of history, shall we say, on the kind of post-election period. Polling at this point, I take with a, with a giant grain of salt when you get into some of these cross tabs because they can vary widely because the samples are so small in different polls. I mean, you could, for instance, you could ask some of these same questions. You get dramatically different results from poll to poll. But in general, there's no question that it's not looking good for Biden in a lot of these individual cross tabs. The question is, will it get better? Will it get better as things go on? And I think I've mentioned this before. The the blinking red light of danger for Trump is the question that you see in pretty much every poll. Of if he is convicted of a crime, particularly related to the post-election period, January 6th, trying to steal the election, will you vote for him? All the polling I've seen on that is Biden wins. And that includes in polls where Trump is ahead before you ask that question. It flips to Biden. And that, to me, and that's why Trump and his team, we'll talk about this later, are doing everything they can to push these trials until after the election. Because part of it is Trump doesn't want to go to prison, right? Of course. But part of it is political. They know that if this trial comes out and people are reminded every day for weeks of the absolutely outrageous conduct of Trump after the election, and then he's convicted, it's, again, could he win despite that? Sure. But it's going to be tough. It's going to be really tough.
0: Well, let's just let's hit that right now before we get into immigration, because I feel like we're going to talk about that bill for a long time. So the appeals panel rules against Donald Trump on the presidential immunity piece. So shocking. The president is not immune from criminal <laughs> prosecution, which is pretty funny. Of course. Of course. Wait, that's you can't Are you sure? sure about that? I mean, of course you can't do just anything that you want. And then, so this is obviously, as you said, the federal election interference case. And then, so you had the potential March 4th trial date now suspended, and that's a big part of this because look, if it's the trial or the conviction, if this is the the piece that could truly swing the election, which I believe it could, I think you do too, and you just read the polling based on that. So this was a, a loss for Trump, but when do you think this trial... Will actually take place.
1: I think the odds um, after this ruling yesterday that it will happen before the election went way up. And it, this ruling, because it was unanimous, because it was really uh, just completely trashed the, the argument, which really was it was. It's an absolutely ludicrous argument. Well, I mean, whether you support Trump <laughs> or not, whether you think January 6 was a big deal or not, to argue that the president of the United States can essentially do anything they want, which and not face legal consequences unless they are impeached and convicted is insane. And the line from the trial, I mean, the the back and forth from the, the argument on this that happened a few weeks ago that really summed it up was one of the judges asked Trump's lawyer, if the president ordered SEAL Team Six to assassinate his political rival, are you saying he couldn't be convicted of a crime? And the lawyer said, well, if he's if he's impeached and convicted then yes. And she's like, "Well, what if he isn't impeached?" And basically the lawyer admitted, "Well, then no." He could and that is just crazy. I mean, come on. Like that is because you're you're essentially saying that the president could do anything he wants and as long as the Senate didn't convict him of impeachment or he resigned before they could that he wouldn't couldn't be charged with a crime is crazy. So I'm glad they struck this down. They struck it down in a unanimous vote with overwhelming language one of the quotes this this quote I thought was the best one from the from their opinion it would be a striking paradox if the president who alone is vested with the constitutional duty to take care that the laws be faithfully executed were the sole officer capable of defying those laws with impunity and that's I mean that just sums it up right there the Supreme Court is is not going to side with Trump on this the question is, Are they even going to take the case? And that is the thing to watch in the next few weeks, because if they don't take the case, then this this thing's going to trial pretty soon. If they do take the case, then it it could push it back into the summer. And at that point, you get into could Trump and his lawyers find a way to delay this thing long enough to get it past the election? But I, I think at this point, it's very likely he goes on trial before the election. And that's really, really bad news for him.
0: Okay. Let's talk now about this uh, immigration bill. Right before we jumped on and uh, started recording here, I saw this tweet. It was a video from James Lankford, who is a senator from Oklahoma, Republican. And he basically said, folks can go to X or Twitter, whatever you want to call it, and see this. He said, look, I talked to a very prominent pundit on the Republican side, and he goes, if you push for any immigration bill this year, we're going to come after you. So so basically, and this is obvious, but they want to run on this. And this is where, to me, two things can be true at the same time. I'm, I'm all about the devils in the details. It's all about the nuance. These two things can be true. Joe Biden has been absolutely terrible on the border for the last three years. That can be true. And also, the Republicans should probably pass this bill, and it would improve the border for the next, well, a long time, but obviously right now, and that they're doing it for political reasons because Donald Trump wants to run on Biden being so terrible at immigration. Both of those things can be true.
1: Yeah, absolutely right, and they are true, and there's a lot going on here. It, look, the president does have powers, some executive authorities, to limit migration into the country. And Biden has not exercised a lot of those authorities in the same way Trump did. But remember, people were still coming across the border and showing up at the border during the presidency of Donald Trump in pretty large numbers until COVID hit. Once COVID hit, obviously all around the world, people were had a hard time traveling. We, we had an expedited authority called Title 42 that allowed us to just uh, expel people as soon as they cross during COVID. That since the courts since have have uh, eliminated that protection. So it's not like there was no illegal immigration under Trump. It was much better. And the reason there wasn't zero illegal immigration is because it's not just about the president's executive authorities. It's about the law, and the law. Uh, immigration hasn't changed in a major way since the 1980s. I think it was 86. Ronald Reagan signed an immigration bill. We're going on 40 years. We haven't been able to come together. And this bill that is going to go, we're recording this on Wednesday. It's going to go down to, to defeat by the time you hear this in the Senate. And it's probably you know never going to be resuscitated. This isn't perfect. It isn't the way I would write it up. But is it better than the status quo? Absolutely. I mean, this bill would end catch and release for adults. It would reform the asylum system so that everyone would have an asi- their asylum claim process within six months. Right now, the biggest problem we have at the borders: people show up, they claim asylum, which people have the right to do, and then they're given a court date to appear in five, six, seven years, and they go into the interior of the country, and who knows if they ever show up? Probably not. That's insane. That is an, an insane system. This would, this bill would make it so that adults- would be, would be in detention and supervised up until their asylum hearing. We know most asylum cases, people lose. I think it's upwards of 85%. So they would then immediately be deported. There would be no take a bus to New York City and have a court date in six years. That would not happen under this bill. They there would be an automatic shutdown when we hit an average of 5,000 people a day. We've been over that for months. The border would be shut down immediately if this bill passed. It would raise the standard for asylum. There would be money to combat fentanyl, money for cities to deal with the migrants who are here right now. There are so many good things about this bill, which is why you saw the Border Patrol Union, who if you follow them on social media, they They hate Biden. They endorsed Trump in 2020. I'm sure they'll endorse him again. They can't stand the policies of the Biden administration when it comes to the border. Their union endorsed this bill saying it's not perfect, but it's way better than the status quo. And we know a lot of Republicans secretly would support this bill. James Langford, who negotiated, who you mentioned, is not some moderate. He's not a liberal. He is a pretty hardcore conservative from Oklahoma. (laughs) Republicans would have supported this bill In large enough numbers that it would have passed both the House and Senate were it not for Donald Trump coming out so strongly against this bill because because he wants this for an election year issue. And it's it's really sad that our politics are like this, but that, you know, I guess I shouldn't be surprised right now. Every time we have a chance on immigration, it goes away because of politics. There are factions on both sides who just want to use the issue. And they don't want to get a result unless they get everything they want, which haven't we seen now that's never going to happen. It isn't going to happen in our system. Most likely with immigration, you're going to get what you want. I mean, I, I said this on our previous show. Think about this for Republicans. Like one of two things is going to happen. Either Biden is going to win again, in which case he will have no leverage. You will have no leverage over him to negotiate a deal. You have leverage right now because he knows this is killing him politically. If he wins reelection, you will have no leverage and you're not going to get a deal this good, not even close. And if Trump wins, you will still need 60 votes in the Senate. Even if the Republicans take back the Senate, which they probably will if Trump wins, they're not going to get six, seven, eight Democrats to vote for a Trump immigration bill. So this is your chance to get a deal that that, that is pretty good for Republicans. You don't have to give up which i support a path to citizenship for the dreamers or people that have been here a long time that's not in this bill there's none of that you get a lot of the things you've wanted without having to give up a lot you're not going to get a deal this this good but you know this is the republican party under trump and as a former republican i hate to see this but this is what they are right now and it <laughs> reminds me are you a succession fan
0: oh yes oh yes
1: it, it reminds me of the line from this past season, the final season of succession, where Kendall Roy was was it was a la spoiler alert. He died in the show. It was the last conversation he had with his kids. and he said, "I love you, but you're not serious people." And mm-hmm. that is the re- Republicans right now. and take out the "I love you part, but they are not serious people by and large. There are some who are and who want a result. But the current iteration of the Republican Party, it's not about getting a result. It's not about changing the law. It's about how can we win this election? And, and this immigration bill lays that out plain as day, if there if there ever you know, was a doubt.
0: So, OK, two questions for you on that, because you, you know a lot more about this than I do. Well, the first one is the political ramifications of this not passing. I just wonder how much it matters. Because look, if it did pass, Joe Biden can go out there and say, "Hey, I, I passed legislation." Um, I, I don't, I don't know how much it hurts uh, Donald Trump that that Joe Biden and the Democrats can now run on, "Hey, we wanted to fix the border, and Donald Trump didn't allow us to do that." Even though that's true, this gets back to you know we're on five shows. I've said the same thing basically the whole time. The fact that it took so long to even have this conversation, Biden has already lost on the border. So that was going to be my second question. Why did it take so long? Why did it take nine months or whatever it is, 10 months before the election for this bill to even get there? I mean, it it seems like I I know when Biden took over, you're right in the heart of COVID and all that and the borders back open. But still, look, I, I think I'm pretty reasonable in saying okay, well, why did it take so long for you to take this seriously when, I mean, Republicans ran on this going back, I mean, many, many elections ago, but certainly in the midterms, they were talking about immigration, immigration, immigration. Now they didn't win. They didn't have that red wave based on that, like a lot of people thought, but why did it take Biden and the Democrats so long to have a bill like this?
1: Well, I think it's politics. I mean, look, Biden And the Democrats, they wanted when this administration came into office, they wanted the kind of immigration deals that have been proposed in the past and that failed under George W. Bush, under Barack Obama. And and they got close, but they couldn't get over the hump. And those deals generally were border security in exchange for legal status for the people that have been here a long time and the dreamers who were brought here as children and, and some more. Visas for people because one of the the backdrops to all this immigration fight that we don't even talk about much but is is really important is look I'm I'm totally against mass illegal immigration I think it's a disaster for our country and I have a lot of criticisms of Biden for that but immigration in general particular legal immigration we need more of that the birth rate of people in the United States continues to go down we are having fewer and fewer kids we we in order to you know fill the jobs we need in the future we're going to need more immigrants. And so immigration should be, that should be the deal, right? That should be the deal. More legal immigration, take care of the people here a long time. But in exchange for that, we lock the border down and we change our asylum laws. So the people who who are claiming asylum can't just hang out in the country, which is part of what this bill would have done. That should be the deal. But the problem is we never get there. And so I think the Biden administration wanted to make that deal. It wasn't going to happen, but then the situation got so bad. And Governor Abbott, to his credit, I think it was a great move in Texas, started sending migrants to other parts of the country. And so then the pressure built in other cities and states outside of Texas, Arizona, California, New Mexico, and the big city mayors in New York and Chicago, they started putting pressure on as well, like, hey, we got to do something here. And so I think the political pressure got to the Biden administration and Democrats to the point where, again... They were willing to give something that Democrats have never been willing to give in the past, which is changes in security that make it harder for people to get into the country without amnesty for people already here. That's a deal Republicans couldn't have even dreamed about, you know, three years ago. There's a reason Trump didn't make that deal. It's because he couldn't make that deal. That deal is there now. And they and they said no thanks. and they're well, they're going to say no, thanks. And that is, it puts us in a place where it makes you think, are we ever going to be able to get a result on this? Are we ever going to be able to change these laws to to something that is a sane immigration system?
0: And I also think we should take care of the dreamers. It's not their fault. But I think you get into a tough spot, though, when, look, if you did come here illegally, but let's say you've been here a long time, a long, long time. 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 years. Now, by the letter of the law, should you deport those people? By the letter of the law, yes. I I just wonder with some of these people that have been here so long, I mean, can there be a system where you pay some type of fee or fine slash community service? I I don't know. And if, if somebody wants to have the argument that they should deport all those people, You know, I don't even know how I feel about this, but I do think there are people that have been here a long, long time. And if they're good citizens, I'm not even saying that they should be able to vote, but if they're not committing crimes and they're productive members of society and have a job and they're contributing, I think to me, those are the people that it's a tough question on. Uh, But then it's kind of like, well, where do you, where do you kind of stop that? Is it five years? I mean, somebody has been here for 20 years, but somebody just came here two weeks ago. Do you look at them differently? I would, but I don't know. I'm I'm trying to kind of find the middle here.
1: I mean, and the reality of the situation is those people are not deported unless they commit, you know, some type of like heinous crime. That that's true under Republican or Democratic presidents. We only have so many resources and there are millions and millions of people in this country illegally. We're we are not deporting, nor probably will we ever deport the people that have been here for a very long time. And I think if you look at polling and I I just think we're, look, we're a country of immigrants. We have sympathy for immigrants. And I don't think we're ever going to, nor should we deport people that have been here for 10 or 20 or 30 years who have made a living, who have contributed you know, through payroll taxes to social security and, and Medicare and, and have children and oftentimes who are U.S. citizens. And I think that, it, again, that's the deal. That's the bargain. But I understand Republicans saying, I'm not going to give you that unless we also get Border security, so that we make sure that the next wave of people can't get into this country in large numbers. I think that makes perfect sense. And that's a deal that has been negotiated back and forth again over the years. It's been on the table here or there. And both parties are to blame. I want to be clear on that. But when you have those deals, and this is the latest example of of the deal that's going to be killed here recently, it's Republicans who kill it. And it's because there's a base of the Republican Party that either doesn't want a deal or they only want a deal if it's everything they want. And I, again, we're we're going on 40 years now. It should be clear to everybody by now that this is one of those issues where you are never going to get everything you want. It's not going to happen. President Trump isn't if he's reelected, is isn't going to all of a sudden come in and be able to do something he couldn't do during his first two years with the Republican Congress and pass an immigration bill and get democratic votes. It's not going to happen especially when you consider the, the 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 kind of democrats who would be more likely to vote for that or, or might vote for it aren't going to be in the senate. Joe Manchin's retiring. You know, he Kirsten Cinema an independent, she's likely not running. There are other democrats in red states who if if Trump wins, they're probably going to lose. They won't be there. The democrats who are left if Trump wins are not the kind of democrats that are ever going to vote for Trump's version of immigration reform. And that look, politics is you got to You got to take what you can get when you can get it, you know, because because the opportunity is not going to be there all the time. And if you have a chance to make things better, even if it's not perfect, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Right. That that is what should happen. But it's not going to happen. And we all we all know why everybody understands that. Now, in terms of the politics, you're right. I think the best case scenario for Biden would be this passes and then he can say, I'm trying I've agreed to compromise that Democrats don't usually agree to. And if it had an effect, which I think it would in dramatically reducing the numbers, he could say, look, things are much better. That's not going to happen. So now, yes, his fallback option is I tried. I made I made concessions. I was willing to sign this bill. Donald Trump literally said, don't do this because of politics. I mean, it's not like we're reading the tea leaves here. I mean, he came out and said, why would you help? Biden. I mean, there's been Republican members of Congress that have said that. They've said the quiet part out loud. They've literally said, why would we do this to try to help Joe Biden to make the situation better? So now if you're Biden, you can argue and say, look, they're saying what we all know, which is they are blocking this for political reasons. They think it might help me. But that goes back to what we talked about at the beginning of the show. In order to effectively execute that argument, you have to have the energy And the ability to make that argument in interviews and campaign speeches, you have to have that. And does Joe Biden now have that? He won't even go on CBS for the Super Bowl. That would be a perfect opportunity because, you know, they'd ask him about immigration. It's the biggest issue in in politics this week. That would be one of the first questions he got. And he would have a a Super Bowl pregame audience where he could say, look, it's bad. I admit it's bad. I'm trying. I support this bill. The border patrol union supported this bill. It would, by all accounts, make our asylum process way better. And Donald Trump and the House Republicans are blocking this. He could make that in front of a huge audience, and he won't do it.
0: And this gets back to our our sports analogy where, look, I, I think they should pass this. I think it makes sense. I think the country will improve. I think the border will improve if they pass this. However... As I'm thinking about it strategically, or as George W. Bush called it, strategery, I think it's <laughs> I think it's the right political move. I hate to say that, but look, we have to talk about these things in in two different uh, on two different avenues. What's right, what you should do, but then also what's smart politically. And if I'm a Republican, I, I think even though it's wrong, I agree with Trump that you can't give this to Biden. Look, Biden's old but inflation is going down. The economy is getting better. Unemployment numbers, job growth, obviously record high stock market. Uh, This is the one that the Republicans really need. And if they can't do the thing, we've seen this in past years, where you start to see the images of the migrant caravans and all that. I mean, they love running on immigration. So I hate to say it, but I think it's the right strategic move for the Republicans to not pass this bill, even though it's the wrong thing for the country.
1: I agree. If you're looking only at, does it make your chances of winning the 2024 election better? If that's, if that is your only question, which for Donald Trump, it is, let's be honest, then you're right. I I don't think, I think there's no doubt about that because this bill could have the effect again, we are over the number that would require an automatic shutdown. So if this bill were to pass, there would be a shutdown. It would last a little while. The numbers would go way down. The asylum process would be reformed. There would be a lot of positives to this bill on the ground. And again, would it mean that doesn't get Biden to pass for his management of the border for the first three years? It's not like Trump still wouldn't be able to hit him for that. Trump would still win that issue, but it, it would have the effect to some degree, I think, neutralizing it. So you're right from from political standpoint, it's a no brainer. But I mean, isn't this the thing that we hate about our politics is when our politicians put something that might be good for the country and might make things better behind their own political interests? Isn't that one of the things that we we like we decry? We're like, oh, these politicians. And we should, because at the end of the day, the job is to make things better it's not about just trying to win the next election it's about when you have a moment and an opportunity can you try to solve problems and that's the issue with both of our political parties right now to be fair they are they are controlled to a large extent by their extremes by their their bases by the the donors the small donors in a lot of cases who will give them the money month after month who aren't representative of the general public and they are oftentimes unwilling to say to those people you're wrong. We have to try to make things better when we have an opportunity. And that is what we hate about our politics. And although it happens in both parties, it is worse on the Republican side right now. It is is worse. Most of the time when there are compromises to be had, the Democrats are willing to do it at the end of the day and the Republicans aren't. Not in every case. And that's why I say, and and you see this with the, the problems they have getting anything done in the House, the Republicans aren't serious people. And that is why Biden, that's one of the biggest things Biden and the Democrats have going for them is people recognize that. And that's why, that's one of the reasons there wasn't a red wave in 2022 is because people, people didn't love Biden in 2022. Like his numbers are a little worse now, but they weren't good then. He was very unpopular then. And historically, presidents get crushed in their first midterm. But the reason it didn't happen was because people looked at the alternative and they said, nah, there's too much crazy. There's too much chaos there. And that is still, by and large the republican party in 2024 and it's why despite his 37% approval rating biden has a coin flip chance you know to win re-election
0: and this is where now you talk about the strategy for the democrats think about just top of the ticket and down ballot how it affects all that if if you're saying look economy is improving you know abortion is obviously a positive issue for the democrats and the fact that let's be real the republicans are not being serious people or serious politicians when it comes to actually passing legislation and actually trying to fix the border that's where if i'm a democrat i'm thinking well heck you know now we're starting to build up a couple more things that are on our side that are going to get voters on our side but man so so maybe we could see some big numbers improving in the house uh, or or keep the senate or or get back the house but man if at the top of our ticket is this super old, super unpopular guy whose approval rating is is at a record low, and this, this kind of goes back to the no red wave in 2022. Even though Donald Trump wasn't on the ballot, he was. And part of that was a referendum on Trump and the hand-picked candidates and January 6th. And so Trump was a negative for the party. Really, he's been a negative in elections ever since 2016. But if I'm if I'm a Democrat and I'm thinking, man, we're starting to, to build up some wins here, but if there's no enthusiasm for Joe Biden whatsoever, are we going to start getting hammered on some other stuff? And in the House and in the Senate, when maybe we could have wins there, if we just had anybody who just had a normal approval rating, just kind of average, not just like absolutely piss poor like this.
1: It's going to look, it's it's one of if they lose, it'll be one of the decisions people look back on and they'll say, why did Biden do this if he wasn't up for it? And again, it doesn't matter so much that he doesn't do this stuff now, but it's going to matter a lot. And that's why the Super Bowl thing was so concerning, because that's such a no brainer. Once you get really into this election season, the spring and summer, it's not going to be enough to just spend a lot of money hitting Donald Trump. It's not going to be enough to just depend on his trials and, and some of the unpopular things that are going to come out there. It's I shouldn't say it's not. It probably won't be enough. It might be, but you're going to have to be able to sell yourself as at least somewhat competent, physically and mentally, up to the job. And that's where I go back to. If in if he just doesn't have that, if he if he just can't do it then there needs to be a come to Jesus moment prior to the convention, because that will be the last chance to change it. And people around him and people who are very powerful in the Democratic Party and maybe his family are going to have to be like, look, Joe, it just isn't going to happen. Now, that's again, that's a hell of a gamble, because as we talked about before on previous shows, part of the reason that Biden, I think, is running is because he has looked around and he knows his vice president, who's the heir apparent, is less popular than he is. And in polling, I've seen does worse against Donald Trump than he does. So it's not as if there's an easy candidate to just pull out and say, well, this will be our person. That's it. There is there is that person doesn't exist. And so that's why I say I think it should be Biden if he is able to hit a bare minimum threshold of being an effective communicator. If he's able to hit that low threshold, I think Biden should be the nominee. He's the one who has the record of legitimate accomplishment he can run on. He's the incumbent. It should be him. But when I see him do things like not take the layup interview before the Super Bowl, and I see some of the missteps, like talking about a French prime minister who's been dead for 30 years the other day on on the stump. I mean, man, it makes you think he may not even be able to hit that low standard. And so if that's the case, then it should be somebody else. If he can't meet that kind of bare minimum presidential campaign standard, then then the Democratic Party power brokers need to come to him and say, we got to go somewhere else.
0: Wrapped into the immigration conversation, you have uh, Alejandro Mayorkas, the Homeland Security Secretary. So the House doesn't impeach him. I saw this tweet from Tom McClintock, who is a Republican congressman, From California, and he tweeted out, "I think Mayorkas has been a disaster for this country. uh, For the country, I think that the open borders policy has placed our nation at serious risk. The problem, though, is doing a bad job is not grounds for impeachment under our constitution. So it gets back to what I said earlier, where two things can be true: which is Mayorkas has done a terrible job on the border, and yet still he shouldn't be impeached just because he's bad at his job. Now, maybe should he step down, or should he be right? I mean." That's a different story, but I do think we're starting to do the political impeachments. And look, when I make this argument, well, Trumpers are going to say, "Well, you guys, you know, Democrats impeach Trump for for all this stuff." And I'm thinking, well, it was withholding U- Ukrainian uh, you know funds. There, that's pretty serious. To have an investigation into into Hunter Biden, your uh, political opponent's son. I don't think that's a misdemeanor. I think that's worthy of, of the impeachment. And then the other one was for January 6th. To me, those aren't misdemeanors, but Trumpers look at it <laughs> differently. And now it's just like, we're impeaching, hey, you impeach me, I'm gonna impeach you. Again, Mayorkas hasn't done a good job, but you can't just impeach everybody that sucks.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I'm a political nerd, so I'm reading a book right now about James Madison, which is a fantastic book, by the way. I mean, he's like the I mean, Madison's probably more responsible for the Constitution than if you, if you were saying, like, who who is the most responsible for our Constitution is probably Madison. You know, you can make an argument for other people, but. And as I read about this stuff, the idea that our founding fathers would have supported you impeaching someone just because they were bad at their job. I mean, they specifically rejected that. So if you believe he's bad at his job, that's not a reason for impeachment. If you read the articles of impeachment and the arguments Republicans make, they essentially wanted to remove Mayorkas from office for doing what the president wanted. He was following the policy of the administration. Now, you may disagree with that policy, and I do to some extent, especially on the border, and that's fine. But that is what elections are for, because guess what would happen if Mayorkas was removed from office? the next person would come in and do the exact same things because they're following the orders of the person who was elected to run the executive branch. The legislative branch does not have the, should not have the right to impeach and remove people simply because they disagree with policy outcomes or the way that the executive branch is conducting itself. That, that's ridiculous. It's, it's, again, it goes back to you're not serious people and that this impeachment would have gone nowhere in the Senate. The Republicans in the Senate would have no Democrat would have voted for it. And most of the Republicans, I don't think would have voted to convict him anyway. But in terms of, but you make a larger point about the kind of double standard. And I think that is to me, one of the most frustrating things about the, the MAGA movement for me personally is this idea that because the outcomes are unique which they are with Donald Trump. No president has ever been impeached twice. No president has ever faced any criminal indictments, although Nick, Nixon might have if Ford hadn't pardoned him, let alone 91. So people look at that and say, well, it's it's lawfare against Donald Trump. It's trying to use the, the government or the courts or the political process to overturn the election without looking at the other side of it. Okay, Trump did unique things. <laughs> like the reason he is facing unique consequences or the prospect of unique consequences. Because remember, he never got convicted by the Senate. We don't know if he'll get convicted in a trial. There's the uh, By the time you listen to this, there's going to be that 14th Amendment case, which we can talk about before the Supreme Court. But the reason these things are even brought up is because of Donald Trump's actions. So people want to say, well, these unique consequences he's facing are really bad. And and they shouldn't they shouldn't be happening without acknowledging that the reason we are even here is because of the unique actions of Donald Trump that got us here. And and that is why the whole uh, double standard argument to me is just it gets Trump off the hook for the actions and makes it look like the only reason people are bringing this stuff up is because as as if Donald Trump never did anything that would like, no, his conduct was perfectly fine after the election you uh, You can argue whether or not it's illegal w- and we'll have those arguments, and they'll they'll literally have them in a court of law this summer. But what you can argue is it was bad Th- that it was bad it was It was not in the tradition of America. it was outside the bounds of what a president should do. What should the consequences be? We'll you know we'll let the courts decide that, but that to me is just my fundamental frustration with a lot of people who, who support Trump when they make that argument is it's as if he did nothing, he did nothing wrong and his mean Joe Biden and, you know, the mean attorney general going after him. And that, and that is just simply not true.
0: And this is where the details matter. So this is my first time doing a YouTube channel. That's, that's largely political. And I knew this going in the comments you get when you talk politics, man, they're, they're a different level then when you're doing a sports channel, whatever, there's, there's a <laughs> yeah. different level of anger and I don't even say violence, but, but so a lot of people are coming in and you got Trump people and, and I honestly want those people. I don't want them to just go away. I want, I want them to watch our videos. And so in the comments, you know, if, if they're nice, I, I respond and they're all saying the election was stolen. And I'm just saying, just show me your proof, show me your source. And, and by the way, this is where the the nuance matters. If you want to say that the Democrats used COVID to make 2020 the easiest election to ever vote in, I think that's true. They used COVID to get mail-in balloting, which helped a lot of people, made it it easier to vote. And when more people vote, Democrats usually win. That's a hundred percent true. I would agree with that. That's totally different than just the election was stolen. And you could go back to some of the stuff said early with like Dominion and all that at this point, show me the proof. Cause I'm thinking now, so every election you win is, is free and fair. And everyone you lose is rigged in a fraud as if Democrats could never win an election ever. You know, Democrats can no longer ever right. win fairly. Despite, That's just impossible.
1: Despite the fact that Democrats on the popular vote margin have won every presidential election since 1992, except for one. George W. Yeah. Bush in 2004 was the last, the only time in the last 30 years that a Republican won the popular vote, and so the idea that a Democrat couldn't win apps and these is is ridiculous. It's also ridiculous because, I, I mean, I I part of me hates to even have the argument because it's in a way it's it's justifying when you when you even go back and forth with the most ridiculous stuff, you almost elevate it to the point of like it's a legitimate debate, and if you just like I was alive then. I remember what happened. We had a deadly virus that was killing it ended up killing a million people. We had no vaccine at that point. And so states around the country, red states, blue states, purple states, they changed their election laws to varying degrees to make it easier to vote. That is true. And in some states I will I will give Republicans credit for this. There is a a sliver of a legitimate argument of Did every state follow the right process in making those changes? And should we have made those changes and what changes should we make in the future? Those are totally legitimate arguments. Absolutely. But courts looked at all of these things. And a lot of those changes that were made in 2020 are still in the books for 2024. So is 2024 going to be illegitimate if you don't get the result you wanted? Not to mention the fact that what about all the down ballot races? Republicans outside of the presidential race did OK in some elections in 2020. Do those were those legit, elections illegitimate? What about the ones the Republicans won? Were people only cheating at the presidential level and they weren't cheating in other races? It just, not to mention all of the arguments about any kind of cheating have been so thoroughly debunked, and many of them are just so laughably absurd that they're not really even worth uh, justifying you know, with a back and forth. And that is why, again, that is why the January 6th trial matters, the, the post, uh, not just January 6th, the, the post-election conduct. That is why that trial, out of all of Trump's various trials, that is the most important one. And that is the one that he desperately wants to push after the election. And it looks like it's going to happen this summer. And when people and the, when people are reminded of the crazy things that he and his people tried to come up with to overturn the election, it's not going to go well for him. It's it's going to be a really, really bad look, which is getting back to one of the things that I've been saying on this uh, show since we started is if Republicans were smart, they would nominate Nikki Haley. She. Right now, if you look at the polling, there's not a ton of difference between Haley and Trump against Biden, it's pretty similar. They do roughly the same. Um, although there is there are some polls where Haley does better, which she always points out. But overall, it's roughly the same. But Nikki Haley's not facing a criminal trial this summer for trying to overturn an election and Donald Trump is. And that matters. That matters to the kinds, it doesn't matter to the people who are already, you know, in the MAGA movement, but it matters to the kinds of voters that are going to decide the election in Wisconsin and Michigan and Pennsylvania and Arizona and Georgia. And Haley would be a much stronger candidate because she she's not going to have to deal with that.
0: So we're getting close to the end here. I have to be honest, you know, you, you pay much better attention to all these uh, comings and goings in politics, especially now that the NASCAR season has started. So I'm having to even focus more attention on <laughs> NASCAR. Right. We had the class of
1: 500 coming up.
0: Daytona coming up in a couple of weeks. So let's end it like this. And you wanted to mention the uh, the timing of when we release this podcast will matter, obviously, with that Supreme Court, with the Trump kicked off the ballot, 14th Amendment. But what what else is uh, is catching your eye here in the political world over the last uh, few days or since we talked last week?
1: Well, that'll be the big thing that we're recording this on Wednesday, the 7th. By the time this gets out, the, the Supreme Court will uh, have have had that hearing. That'll be on Thursday, the 8th. And that's the 14th Amendment case. And that is uh, the case that is Colorado Supreme Court voted to not have Trump on the ballot because they say that he incited an insurrection under the 14th Amendment. The Supreme Court's looking into that. They'll probably make a ruling in a few months. Most people assume, and my guess would be in one way or another, the Supreme Court's going to overturn that decision and Trump will be allowed on the ballot. And look, there's always the law, which I'm not. although I'm nerdy and I read these books about, you know, the origin of the constitution, I'm not a constitutional scholar. And this gets really deep in the weeds of the law. Right. So I, in terms of the law, the 14th amendment for people aren't familiar, by the way, it's one of the amendments we passed after the civil war, after the civil war, we passed a bunch of amendments, you know, freeing the slaves, declaring people, citizens if they were born in the country, all kinds of things. One of them was there's a clause in uh, the 14th amendment that says that if you are involved in inciting insurrection or giving, I think the wording is aid and comfort to them. And you've taken an oath previously to be a, an elected official, you can't then be elected again. And they did that for obvious reasons. People like Robert E. Lee were still really popular after the Civil War, right? If Robert E. Lee had run for the House after the Civil War, he probably would have won. And so they didn't want people who had literally tried to overthrow the government and destroy the government in the Confederacy who were still popular, they didn't want them back in Congress if they had already been, if they had been in Congress or been in the presidency. And so that is the question, right? Is legally, I think it's a close call. Like, I think it's a close call, but I think politically it's a no brainer. You cannot allow Donald Trump to not be on the ballot. Like January 6th was bad, but it wasn't the civil war. And that I think is how I would ultimately rule. I would be like, it was bad, but the, they don't define insurrection in the 14th amendment and they don't say how it's determined. It's, it's left up to interpretation. And we haven't really thought about it for 150 years because we haven't had anything like we saw in January 6th. So I think the Supreme court will one way or another rule that Trump is eligible for the ballot. I just, I, I just hope they tell us in a little detail what they think about January 6th what the maybe kind of what the criteria is for insurrection, it'd be nice to know for the future because I think Trump has enough plausible deniability that you could make the argument that January 6th, as bad as it was, didn't rise to that level and that Trump should be allowed to stay on the ballot. That's that's where I would come down. I think that's where the Supreme Court will come down.
0: And it, it's it's funny because so when this happened, I went and I did the same thing you did. I went and I looked up the 14th amendment, and you're seeing this is you know kind of reconstruction post civil war, as you said to allow these Confederate folks to, again, run for office. And it doesn't say in that amendment that you have to be convicted. So it, it's kind of funny the way I'm thinking about this. But look, do I think Donald Trump tried to subvert or overturn the election, stop the peaceful transfer of power? Yes, I do. Now, did he did he 100% commit insurrection? I think you can make the argument no. Now, did he do insurrection-y things, right? <laughs> yes. He was insurrection-adjacent.
1: Yeah. He was right. insurrection-adjacent.
0: Yes. To keep raising the 14th Amendment,
1: though. The, the reason I think it is a close call is because the 14th Amendment specifically says aid and comfort. It's yes. not just did you engage in, in insurrection, it's did you give aid and comfort to insurrectionists. And I think there you could make the argument. But again...
0: Yes. <laughs>
1: what I go back to with January 6th and, 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 and the conduct really, because I, I hate when people focus so much on January 6th, like I'm all for talking about it. it, it there's a lot to talk about there. I, I don't mind if people bring it up, but I hate when people bring it up as an isolated event, as if, there was nothing that led up to it. Like people just miraculously came to the Capitol on January 6th and tried to stop the certification electoral college. We all know that's not what happened. There was a buildup for months prior to that. So that's why I think you have to look at January 6th, not as an isolated event, but as like the culmination of an attempt to overturn the election. It was the last gasp basically. And so when you put all that conduct together, I think it's so much better if we would have handled this through the political process, so the Fourteenth Amendment case, I think the Supreme Court will and should allow Trump to be on the ballot. I'm I am I don't have a firm opinion one way or the other on his on his criminal culpability. I, I'm wait, waiting for the trial. I think the trial will be interesting. I, you know, I don't have a firm opinion on that. I think it's a I think it's questionable criminally. But what's not questionable is the dereliction of duty, the political crime of January sixth. And that I wish it would have been handled through the process of impeachment and conviction, because I think that, again, if you go back to our founding fathers, the idea that we would have a guy who tried to, that, that it would be OK for a president to try to overturn an election and then run again. I mean, that would have just that it, they would have just said, what are you talking about? And and it should have been handled through the political process. And it, it, if he would have been convicted then he couldn't have run for election again and we wouldn't be here. And I wish it would have happened that way, but it didn't and so we are where we are.
0: And I don't know what it was like obviously in the uh, in the late 1700s, but do you think our founding fathers ever thought we'd get to a hyper partisan nature where let's be real, it doesn't really matter anymore what happened. It doesn't really matter right or wrong. People are going to to be on their team and you know what? You mentioned Richard Nixon earlier, Richard Nixon, that was what? That was 73. So we're talking, what, 50, 50 years ago, whatever it is, that would not have went the same way in 2023, 2024. He wouldn't have resigned. He would have had a whole media arm saying that it was okay. And actually Democrats (laughs) do worse. That would not have happened the same way in 2023. He would have dug in like Trump does. I mean, like we are with this hyper partisanship. So I don't know. I think, I think back in the day, the founding fathers probably thought, you know what, at the end of the day, the, the people will speak, the people will, will vote accordingly and do the right thing. I don't know if we're there anymore.
1: <laughs> no, we're that is what, that is the thing that I'm most scared about. You know, look, I, I am not as alarmed about the democracy threat as a lot of people. I have concern. I want to be clear. Like I am concerned about it. But I don't think we have an eminent danger to lose our democracy because I think we saw the stress test in 2020. I mean, look, in a way, if you're looking for the silver lining of Trump trying to overturn the election, which I always look for the positives, we held up like the courts did their job. They threw out his ridiculous. Mike Pence did his job. We've since changed the law. Luckily, Biden has signed this into law. Another thing that Biden did bipartisan bill that clarified what I, what most people already kind of assumed, but wasn't actually 100% ironclad, which is the vice president's role is just ceremonial. He, the vice president doesn't have the power to just say, no, I think the election was stolen. I'm throwing all this out, which is what Trump wanted Mike Pence to do. So we've changed that law. We've, ma- we've raised the threshold for uh, Senate people in the House and Senate trying to disqualify a state's electors. I think it's two-thirds now. On January 6 2021, it was only a majority, which Trump tried to get the House and Senate to, to do that. And that failed. So we in a way, and going through this 14th Amendment thing, I again, I even though I wouldn't kick Trump off the ballot, I think it's important we have that case. I think it's important the Supreme Court give us a rolling. And I hope they give us a, a detailed accounting of that. I think it's important we have these criminal trials because we need to make sure that we for the, the best way we can, we steal our democracy because Trump may not be the last. Yeah, There may be another Trump. Hell, it may be him coming up in, in later this year, but it may be someone else 10, 20, 30 years from now. And so we need our democracy as strong as we possibly can. But yeah, getting back to the founding fathers. And again, I go back to this book I'm reading, like, I don't know, like 1800, I hate to be nerdy here, but 1800, we had a tie in the electoral college. Thomas Jefferson and Aaron Burr tied. Now, they were the same party, but they both were fighting for the job. And it was, I think, 36 ballots in the House of Representatives to determine the election. And there was no riot. You know, there was no, like they they went. It was about as acrimonious as, as something could be. And they went through and ultimately it was resolved and Jefferson became president. And I'm thinking, like, if stuff like that happened now, what would happen? It, would there be riots in the streets? Would there be armed people showing up at the Capitol? It, it, this hyper-partisanship, it, it is really scary. And it, it, it'll, it's a no-brainer that, again, it's weird to even say this, when the results of the election are certified, if the courts don't find that there's anything improper about that, we should all just accept that regardless of if our side wins or loses. The idea, like that just seems like a base level. If you if you said, what is kind of the democracy 101, right? What is the very bottom level that a democracy needs to achieve to be considered a democracy? That would be one of the first things. When you have an election, if there's no proof of illegality and you can't overturn it in the court, when that's certified, it's over. And you move on and you have the peaceful transfer of power. And that we're even... Debating that, questioning that in any way in 2024 is is concerning.
0: Well, that's the thing, whether you think it was an insurrection or not, Donald Trump was already the one guy who did not allow for the first time in 250 years the the peaceful transfer of power, however you want to label it. You know, that did not happen like it did in in previous years. You want to end on that? You got any more news and notes you want to throw at us before we wrap up?
1: No, let's end on that, on that encouraging note.
0: (laughs) Love it. Love it. Great stuff, Eric, as always. And uh, we'll get this out either Wednesday night, Thursday, and there's a lot happening and things will change and all that. But uh, man, it's a fun year. There's always a lot going on. Appreciate it as always. And uh, comment, like, subscribe, folks, share the channel. We're seeing some growth in the numbers and all that. We're starting to add subscribers. People are watching these videos. You know, they they like the long show, but also kind of breaking it down to to shorter clips and all that's working. So we're uh, we're and growing, Eric. And the one go ahead. thing
1: I would add, one thing I would add is, like, if you disagree with me, and I know people did this, especially on the video I put out about why Haley would be better than Trump. You know, comment, questions, concerns, feedback. If you if you disagree, and maybe next time we. uh You know, if there's any uh, thoughtful critiques, we should read those because I'm all for like legitimate open debate and back and forth. And and I want to be as I want to be and I try to be as fair as I possibly can. Like just I want even though we all have our opinions and our biases, but I'm a political independent right now. I, I don't really feel comfortable with either side or either party. Uh, and and so I want to I want to see those those questions. And if people want to go at me and, you know, have some things they want to they want to say in defense of Trump, you know, let's do it. Bring it on. And we, we can talk about it maybe next week.
0: I like it. Yeah, I'll start clipping some of those off, too, if I see some good ones. So good call there. All right, Eric. Appreciate it, man. Have a good uh, rest of your week.
1: It's always a pl- pleasure, Charlie.
0: All right. See you guys.